to uh, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to uh, look today at um, this passage. I hope to conclude, to conclude, <laughs> to conclude it, um, move on to the next section. Uh, let, let's read it together. I'm going to read beginning with verse 7. Those previous verses, of course, we've talked about um, for two or three weeks, even in review, that he talked about unity. Look at verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I, uh, I hope you'll... you'll Notice that there's a, a focus here, and, and the focus, of course, is the building up of this body for whom Christ died. For God so loved the world, and we, we, you know, we know that verse, but we sometimes take it for granted. Paul tells us in Romans that God showed his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So what you see here, man, you see manifested here is the outworking of that love. How does, how does that love work? And part of that process is that this body grows into and unto maturity to Jesus. And so none of this can be taken as some um, abstract or, or disconnected or, or autonomous theological exercise. It, it is a process that arises out of the heart of love of God, God who is love, to draw us to him. Now, um, we get down here to pastor, we'll talk about what a pastor is as a, as a, as a pastor, my heart is to feed and care for the sheep. I'm going to share some things with you today that you may not have heard before, or maybe you've heard things contrary to. I've, I, I want to sh- share those things in love. Um, I am 
um, praying that you will um, uh, bear with me. And if you have questions, we'll talk about this in a minute. If you have questions, then please shoot your questions uh, to me. So I already mentioned, I, I, hope, I hope to conclude this today. But I want to go back to something I kind of alluded to and touched on a little bit um, last week. I, I can't deal with it in, in complete detail. There'll be other passages. Um, we can't, you know, have the whole feast in one day. So, um, uh, but I can today give you some, some of the basics and you can, you can look up some of these things and research some of these things yourselves. We just read this passage about this triumphant Lord who descended and ascended and gave gifts. And we, we've, we talked about that somewhat last week. And, and these gifts from, from verse 12 were equipping. I'm going to call them equipping gifts. These this, this apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, or pastor and teacher, four or five, depending upon <clears throat> which translation you read or which commentary you read. Um, the commentaries that I have been referring to, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll name some names, Sproles, R.C. Sproles, James Montgomery Boyce's, Henry Ironsides, and John MacArthur's. All four of those stated that when you read down through those lists of equipping gifts or people who, are, who have gifts, that the first two cease to function. That there are no more apostles or prophets. Um, <clears throat> not the others, just the first two. Now, I have two other commentaries that I, I looked at uh, uh, Brian Chapel or Chappell and Lloyd John Ogilvie's, and they ignored the issue completely. Instead of talking about the gifts, you know, they didn't talk about apostles, prophets. They didn't try to explain any of that. Past, pastors, teachers, evangelists. They didn't talk about that. They just talked about what the gifts were for, and that's good. So there was, there was good information in 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 all of these books. Um, and the reason they ignored them was because they're controversial. Now, I want you to just take a couple minutes and look at that passage again. And read through it. And, and, and we will. We'll, we'll, we'll just pause here. I, can, I have been known to shut up. <laughs> well, read through it and tell me where it says that two of the five have ceased. Go ahead. And some of you are looking, some of you don't have to because you have it memorized. Uh, <laughs> um, tell me how you can actually even draw that conclusion from those passage from this passage. 
Actually, you know, I said, tell me where it says it ceased. Where does it hint? Where does it suggest? Where does it insinuate that they have ceased? Now, uh, I'll come back to that. Let's talk about an apostle. An apostle is a sent one. It basically means messenger, and I gave you a list of some of the people who were called apostles in the New Testament. It's, it's different than these fellows who wrote Scripture. Um, it's different than the twelve. There were others who were who were called that, and it can be used in a it can be used in a strict sense, and it can be used in a um, uh, a, a more uh, liberal sense, and, and include more people in it. But literally, the word means a sent one, an emissary, a messenger. And today, it's usually used if it is applied to someone who takes the gospel into an unreached area, and and, and as a result of that effort and God's blessing their effort rises to some position of authority over those church, that church or those churches that are there. A prophet is one who can see via supernatural means what is going to happen. There is no... And we get in the New Testament, we get very scared about all this stuff. There is no other way to define prophet. A prophet is someone who, who tells you what the Lord wants you to know, and it, and it is often connected with supernatural understanding. An evangelist is someone who has a special ability to share the gospel. That's what an evangelist is, and the word... That word evangelist comes from the word where we where comes from the root where we get our word gospel. A pastor is someone who cares for, feeds, and defends those in their his care. Um, you can read Paul's letter to Timothy. As a matter of fact, my translation here I, I don't know that I particularly like it, but it uh, there there is a basis for it. My my translation uh, calls them shepherds. So, there you go, and that then we we actually get our our our, uh, our word pastoral, and so you you know if you're in a church and you say pastoral, you think of you know a, a minister. If you're out on a farm, you think of animals grazing out there in the grass. All right, so that's. And what? Where do the animals graze at? They graze in a pasture. All right. So you see where the words are coming from. A teacher, and it's a different word. A teacher is someone who can articulate truth in a manner comprehensible. All right. So um, I've, uh, you know, I've taken all and so have you taken all kinds of classes through my life. I, I had to take classes to get a ham radio license. You know, I, uh, I, I had to t- all kinds of all kinds of stuff. When I was working in the, in the secular field, I had to take classes on all, all sorts of things. So have you. And uh, there were some that you, you know, <laughs> you said to yourself, I'm glad they're paying me to be here. Because I ain't learning nothing. I wish it is. I ain't learning no good language. You know, that's, I, 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 
you know, why am I here? There were other people that you could tell were connected to their subject and understood the subject and had a passion about the subject. And when they got done communicating, you not only learned something, you were actually interested and exciting about what they taught. And basically because they were. So there's, there are, and, and by the way, there are people who have these gifts who are not functioning as Christians. What do you think if someone, if, if God would save somebody and um, make them an evangelist, okay? They would, and that's actually, uh, I got to be careful, I'm going to run out of time, but that's actually backwards of the way it works. God makes people for this, and if they yield to Him and are saved, then their, their personality becomes fulfilled. And that person who might be an evangelist might over here in the secular world be a salesman. A teacher might be a teacher. A pastor might be someone who's in some sort of caring profession. And so on and so forth. So we, we can see how all those things work. So, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. And I, I'm going to come back to this. Now, I haven't given you that very brief explanation of how these things work. When did we cease needing all of these things that Paul articulates here? We're going to look at in a second through all of these verses to equip the saints to the work of the ministry, to building up the body of Christ, to all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man and measure the stature of fullness of Christ. When, when did all of that cease to be important that we no longer needed certain of these things? When did God stop using all these things People. Now, my background is charismatic. So uh, I can give you, if you need it, I can give you a history of classic Pentecostalism. I can give you a history of how the charismatic movement moved off from that. And I can talk to you about some of the contemporary denominations and what they're doing uh, because I'm aware of all those things. I purposefully um, read these authors with their traditional viewpoints so I could understand them better. I already know most of this, or not all of it, but I, I know most of what the, 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 the other side says. I can tell you that in my experience, I have seen excess and unbiblical practices. Say, have you seen people abuse prophecy? Absolutely. Have you seen this apostle thing go, (laughs) I've got an acquaintance who calls himself an apostle. Okay? He's no more an apostle than he is an astronaut. Okay? But you can call yourself anything you want. Um, Do I call him apostle? No, I call him by his first name um, when I have a chance to, to call him. So, and I, and I asked, I asked the fellow once, I said, why does he do that? And he says, I don't know, and I told him not to, but he did anyway. So that's, that's the way that goes. So is there excess there? Absolutely. I've also seen excess regarding healing, giving, praying, preaching, worship, 
communion, and baptism. And we probably could add some other things to the list if we want to take the time. Do we deny that God heals because some do it wrong? If, if you get sick or your friend gets sick, and we, you know, we take prayer requests every Sunday here, and every Sunday there's, you know, pray for this person, they've got this going on or that going on with physical issues. Do we stop praying and asking God to heal people because there are some other people out here who do it all wrong? Well, they absolutely not. Do we, uh, do we stop giving because there are people out here who are manipulative and abusive? There are people who are manipulative and abusive on one side, and there are people who say it doesn't matter on the other side, and both are wrong. Do we stop doing it? No. And in all of these issues, what we try to do is do it the way Scripture tells us to do it. And it has to be that Scripture is the rule and authority for our faith and conduct. Scripture has to be the final authority. Now, I talked to you last week that out of the 12 apostles that were apostles of the church, that, and that's the way some of these uh, people talk about it, um, only three or so of them, I think it was three, let me go back to my notes, actually wrote Scripture. And that would have been Matthew, John, who else? I thought, I thought there were three. Pardon me? Peter, thank you. Little Peter. Mark was not one of the twelve. Luke was not one of the twelve. And the one who wrote the most chapters in Scripture, Paul, was not one of the twelve. And he tells, he says, I'm not. I was, I was actually one born out of time. That's how he describes it. So, um, and, and the reason I bring that up is because I want to talk to you about the Word of God. We have this book, this infallible book about God and His plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. Salvation through Jesus the Messiah. And it stands alone as our guide and rule of faith. I already mentioned that to you. Sola Scriptura. There is no other authority. This is the final authority. And nothing any man or angel, and you can see what Paul wrote in the book of Galatians if you want, nothing or any man or angel says can trump it. It is the final authority. And it is finished. It is not still being written. Unless you're a Mormon, or in some instances a Roman Catholic. All right. Um, I'll just throw this in. We can't get there to it today. But there is no place in, in this book that says that those gifts went away when this book was written, finished. There's no place. 
Now, some of you may have heard some scriptures, and I challenge you to go and look at those scriptures and actually read those scriptures as if you didn't. If try to read those scriptures as if you didn't have a a, a, a preconception about them. And if you if you will, you'll find out that what they're talking about in those scriptures has nothing to do with this. Has nothing to do with the finality of God's gifting um, or the cessation of it. So I, I ask you to please ponder these things and, and pray about them. Let me let me share one other thing in here, and I, I think I'm going to try to talk through this here for just a minute. Um, as I look at this and I, I think about, again, what I read and what I studied and what I know, when I look at apostle and prophet, um, I ask myself, okay, if these things are still functioning, who's doing this? And I don't know who might be. Uh, let me talk to you. There's a group out here called the New Apostolic Reformation. And they base a lot of their stuff on, on these gifts. And they are in error. And I've rubbed shoulders with some of those people in decades past. And it's out of balance. And it's wrong. And they put an overemphasis on supernatural communication. Let me give you two or three rules about prophecy. Number one, and, and we all know this. Someone prophesies, it must come to pass. If it does not, it was false. Are you with me here so far? It cannot be so vague, that the second thing, it cannot be so vague that the person can say, well, it's, it's going to. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, I can get up every day, and folks, I could prophesy to you today that one of these days, the world's going to come to an end. Okay? And actually, that's not really a prophecy because the book tells us, doesn't it? I mean, this is some supernatural thing you couldn't know just by reading this book. How many know that it, it, uh, if you get up tomorrow and it hasn't happened, are you going to stone me? I mean, it was vague enough that it could happen the day after tomorrow, or it could happen at, while you're having lunch. So, it, the, the, these, things, these things cannot be vague. And when we get into the Scripture, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we find out they're not vague. They are specific. Um, sometimes, from the Old Testament, we needed some understanding from the New Testament to understand them, and the New Testament writers gave us that understanding. And we have an example of it here, because Paul is writing, and he quotes from the Psalm, from 68th Psalm, about the ascension, excuse me, the, the, the descension and ascension of the Lord, and he puts it into perspective and how it fits into the New Testament. And so we, we look at this book and we say, all right, that's what, this, that's what the truth is. Um, so it must not be vague. And number three, it must be scriptural. Again, I told you I've seen excesses and abuses 
people prophesying things. <laughs> I never read a one of them. Uh, um, have other things to put in my brain, you know, like how to fix the sliding door on my wife's van is more important than some of these prophecies I saw in 2020 about how Trump was still going to be president. Do you remember those? I looked at that and I thought, oh, well. You know why I didn't need to read it? Because if it was true, it was going to happen. And if it was true, there wasn't anything I could do about it. It was going to happen. Guess what? It didn't happen. So, uh, prophets. Um, are, there new te- are there New Testament prophets today? Now, there's a place in, there is a place for prophecy that edifies, exhorts, and comforts. And we read about that in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. But are there prophets like there were in the Old Testament today? I don't know of any. There may have been some in the past. And as a matter of fact, um, whether it's divine revelation, a vision, or whether it's reading the signs of the times, perhaps Francis Schaeffer was a prophet. And those of you who are in our adult class, when we get to the end of that, you're going to see what he said in the late 60s and early 70s about where culture is and you're going to see he hit it right on the nail. Hit the nail right on the head. I don't know. Are there apostles today? I don't know. Um, I actually tried to rack my brain to see if there was someone I could think of today. Chuck Colson may have been an apostle in, in times past. J. Gresham Machen may have been an apostle a hundred years ago because he started a, a seminary and, and, a, and a denomination rose out of it and, and today there are tens of thousands of people who worship in that evangelical denomination because he said we can't go along with these people over here who are denying and violating the word of God. And so he led people in another direction and, and he ministered to them. I also have to tell you that a lot of this is subjective. You may go to another land and find out that the leading Christian in that particular land is considered by those people to be an apostle because if it wasn't for them, that segment of population or that part of, um, part of the geography would not have ever heard about Jesus Christ. And because someone came, maybe as an evangelist, but as someone came and the gospel was received and people started meeting together and then it spread to another community and then it spread to another community and now, and now all of a sudden there are a, a whole group of churches and they're resorting to this one person and maybe to some elders in, in all of that area for guidance and understanding and doctrinal clarity and that sort of thing and that person may be an apostle to them. I don't have any authority because this word doesn't give me any authority to say that sort of thing cannot happen. As a matter of fact, I know that it does, it has happened and it does happen.
All right. I ask you to ponder all these things and pray about them and send me your questions. And I'm going to repeat what Greg said. Please don't come up and ask me. Uh, okay? But if, you, if there's enough questions, we'll answer them. And there's more that can be said about all of this. Uh, we, we've got to do some other things and we're going to move on in, in this book and talk about some other very important things. So there's more that can be said. And if there's enough questions, we'll spend some time, you know, we'll interrupt what we're doing here maybe at the end. Of, of the book of Ephesians and we'll go back through and we'll talk about, talk about some of these things. Right now I want to move ahead though and say why are these gifts? So look with me if you can and we'll go through this quickly here in, my next, in the next one minute and 50 seconds. All right? Or some close approximation to that amount of time. To equip the saints. Why are we doing this? To equip the saints. Verse 12. So that's what it says. Who are the saints? You are, I am, we are. So this, God gave these gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, to his church, to his body, so that those gifts could equip the saints, equip everybody who's not one of those, and to minister to them, give us the tools because the tools, and that's what the word equip means, to give them tools for some task that they're to do. And you might ask, what task? So if you follow along with me, to equip the saints for what? For the work of ministry. To the work of serving and ministering to one another. And that's the next part of it for building up the body of Christ. So maybe we'll put two, those two together. What, what is this work? This work is ministry, and what is the purpose of that ministry? To build up the body of Christ. Everyone is in some way responsible to the Lord for what the Lord has given them to minister to everyone else. And it's not... Um, um, is a little bit easier for the apostle when he wrote to the church at Ephesus and he's writing to that entire city. And we don't look at things that way anymore. But you, you, what you must not do is say, well, it's, I'm called to minister to these people that I go to a meeting with on Sunday. No, that's not the case. You're called to minister to everyone who you come in contact with who is a believer. That's building up the body. The body is not when there is, and I've said this before, I'll say it again, it is a, it, there is no such thing as a local body. That's a physical impossibility. The body of Christ is all over the world. There's no such thing as a local thing. There's a, we, we're here and we're gathered local and we, we rub shoulders together. That's how we relate to one another. That's how we know things. That's how we can pray for one another and, and because we communicate and we talk and we're, and we're here together. But ministry is to the entire body of Christ so that the whole thing will be built up. And if you have different translations, you'll see that sometimes it says strengthened, sometimes it says edified. So the goal is that God gives these gifts to his entire, these people, to the, to the body so that the body can build itself up. And earlier we looked and talked about all the other gifts that are involved. And again, those are in Romans and 1 Corinthians. And, and how everybody has a certain thing that they can do. So, why the gifts? To equip the saints. Why do they need to be equipped? Because they have work to do. And what is that work? To build up, to edify, and strengthen everyone 
else. That's the work of the ministry. To what end, you might ask? Verse 13, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So let's couple those together. When he talks about faith there, he's not talking about belief. He's talking about an understanding of the way things work. It, it has to do with the, a, a body of doctrine or a body of truth. So we all believe the same thing for the most part. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. So we all know the Lord better. So we, 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 we know the Lord. Let me, let me back up. Let me say it this way. I know the Lord better because I see Him working in your life. You know the Lord better because you see Him working in someone else's life. Because we share and there's some, there's, there is some sort of, of um, transparency and accountability back and forth. Because we, we, we live next to one another or we communicate or we share other, other things and, and all this is going on. And, and so this work is going on so that the goal will be so that we all believe the same and we know the Lord. Um. There's, there's more that could be said about that. There, there's all kinds of things to learn out here. Um, there's certain things you can learn by reading a book. A good book will cause your mind to work. And it will take you someplace past where its pages left you. The words in the book will, will lead you someplace else. All kinds of things to learn like that. And I already teased about when the, the door on my wife's van fell off the track. I looked it up on YouTube and there was a video of a guy fixing it. And I'm thinking, I can't believe this is on here, but I'm so grateful it is, you know. So I took my phone out the thing and got in a position of supplication uh, before the door of before the van and started unbolting things un, un, unscrewing bolts and putting things back together and sure enough it worked and uh, I think somewhere under the mat I wrote down the URL of the video <laughs> because it happens about once a year or something that falls out so um, maybe someday I'll get, that, that, get rid of that van it would be great um, all kinds of things to learn. There is nothing more important to learn than how Jesus Christ is the Lord of everything in every area of our life. And with your children, with your job, with your relationship with your spouse, with your relationship with others, with your relationship with yourself. There is nothing more important to learn. That's the goal of this. We, 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 don't, we don't gather together because we get some merit for being here. We've left that doctrine, you know, 700 years in our past. We gather together here so that we can be with one another, so we can receive from God's Word, so we can worship together. So we can find out if we don't any other way 
We can find out how other people are doing so we can pray, so we can be with them. So we can show them Jesus. This Christian stuff is not focused on us. It's focused on us. His goal in his love was to minister to his body. And the most important thing that any of us can understand and see and know is Jesus. The next thing is, it says it takes us to maturity, to a mature manhood. And um, in the stature, in the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So it's, it's not some worldly maturity. It's maturity in Jesus And without being too transparent, I can tell you that I'm not near as mature as I thought I was four months ago. Verse 14, and this is connected, so that we're no longer children. Look at what it says. So that we're no longer children tossed by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We're no longer deceived and running after selfish pleasures and fulfillment. Look at, look at verse 4, and I, I, I tell you what, I won't, I'll take time to read it. I'm already over time. Look at verse, or chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. And we're going to talk about that here starting next week. But he talks about you've got to put off that old man. You can't be that old person. You can't just keep doing what you used to do. God's got something different for you. So that we're, we're, we're no longer, and, and, you know, children just, you know, dropping this and picking up that and they're all finding that thing and, and want, wanting that and, and being deceived by anything because they don't know. They don't have any basis for understanding. So if you tell them something, they don't know any difference. So they're going to, they're going to, he says, you can't, that's not the goal. My, he says, I want my body to be mature and, and the, the maturity is measured against the person of Jesus Christ. And all of these things that are here that happen, to, that happen to these immature children are negative. That they're blown off target and they're deceived. The Lord doesn't want that for us. He says we're to speak the truth in love. And again, there's a whole lot that could be said here. This is an amazing thing. Because we... we uh, uh, it's good to speak the truth in love. It's better to live in love. Um, so that what we what did Jesus say out of the abundance of a man's heart what his mouth speaks let me just ponder that for a minute Uh, just so that there's no confusion there is no love in untruth Okay, so you, you you have to have some wisdom here. Um, but if someone comes and says, you know, how do you like my haircut? I mean, no, that's a loaded question. Uh, not for me, but it is for some of you. You know, or how, how do you like my my hairdo? If it's bad, should you say, oh, that's fine, I, I like it. Or should you say, well, 
I, I, you know, I, 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 I don't know. Uh, I think you've had better. <laughs> or should you say, what in the world happened to you? <laughs> Did I ever tell you a story about my friend? I went, this is many, many decades ago. I went to see my friend. He was a furniture salesman. He, he worked for an, that, that's a, uh, that's not quite true. He was an, he was a designer he designed office spaces, and he sold a fella who was a barber some furniture. And uh, he, he and he went to this guy to get his hair cut. And I saw him in the evening, and I said, "What?" And I, I said this. What? In the, I, I knew him real well, so I said, "What in the world happened to you?" Because his hair—I mean, it was up one side, and it was all crooked. And he said, "Made my barber mad." I said, what? what? He says, yeah, the, he ordered these chairs, and they were, they were faulty. And we sent them back, and it's been weeks and weeks, and, no, and they haven't sent the thing. And apparently he decided he would take it out on my head. So he had a terrible haircut. Uh, what, folks, we speak the truth. You, it doesn't do any good to lie to folks. There is no love in a lie. Listen carefully to me. There is no love in a lie. It puts us in a very difficult situation culturally. But if you live in the truth and if you grow up to the stature of the measure of the fullness of Christ, you're going to tell the truth. You can do so in a loving manner. You can do so with a heart of love. And if you have a heart of love, the Lord will help you phrase it. <laughs> okay. I got a new suit once, and one of my friends said, That thing will come back in style pretty soon. <laughs> Speak the truth in love. Verse 20. Five of the, of the same chapter talks about it again. Verse 15 and 16, and we'll close with this. It says, we're to grow up in, into Christ, each part ministering to each other part. Every part is vital. There are no insignificant parts of his body. And, and he phrases it when each part is working properly. I have, uh, I'm getting stronger here. I actually told my therapist, I said, you know, I have trouble. I'm, I'm doing it now. Two weeks ago, I couldn't do this. I think I'll put it down. That hurt, okay? And so, it, this thing is not yet working properly. I cannot do what I did before because this is not yet working. Can you see this? Properly. And we're working on it to make it work better. But until it does, I've got to make allowance for it and there are just certain things that I can't yet do. Like I just tried with that and put that. I'm going to have to get a thinner Bible. Putting the weight of that Bible on my phone, I can't do it. Folks, don't be my thumb. 
Do your job properly. Be obedient to the Lord. Let Him have His way with you. When you read His Scripture, open, open your hearts and say, Lord, what do, you, what, do you, what do you want me to say today? Realize that His goal is to, is to, to minister to, the, to His entire body, to build it up so that it becomes like Him. And I can, I, can, I can promise you that there is no greater thing in, in, in all of... Uh, I put the book away. I get Lewis's book out here again. Your fulfillment is found in doing what God wants you to do. There is no greater thing in all the world than finding yourself in the center of God's will, doing, God's will, doing what God wants you to do, ministering the way He wants you to to be living the way He wants you to live. Even, even if you don't know, you're doing it. And when the body builds itself up, Jesus is glorified because He's the head. And He died for this body. Would you stand with me? We'll pray and then we'll sing. Heavenly Father, thank you for gracious people who are um, willing to maybe hear new things and think about different things. I pray you'll give us grace and faith and I pray you'll help us grow to your maturity. I pray you'll help us be what you would have us to be for your body's sake and, Lord, for our own sake. That's where our joy in you is. Our joy in you is being what you've made us to be. Now, we're in all different places in this journey, but we're still all your workmanship. We look down on no one, We look up to no one except you. We trust you to work in each of our lives. And we give you praise for all the good things that you do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.